As you do turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, we continue in our series on Nehemiah as we consider the great work that God has called us to as a church, and we see how God worked in a great way in the life of Israel at the time of Nehemiah. As you turn there, just a review of last week, we found out that Israel had an overwhelming need. They had been in exile in Babylon, and yet God had called part of them back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. And word came to Nehemiah, who was still in Babylon, which was now under the control of the Persians. And he was the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. He got word that the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down and the gates had been burned. And so he mourned because there was this incredible, overwhelming need. What are they going to do about the place where God had set his name specially, about the place where all throughout the earth God was present, but in a special way, in the most special way, in Jerusalem, in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. And we also looked at our own need that caused by the hurricane where the walls didn't come down but the roof came off and our roofs were compromised on all our buildings led to millions of dollars of damage. So what do you do? What did Nehemiah do? He prayed. He prayed. He prayed for God's wisdom. He prayed that God would work. And after four months, he went to talk to King Artaxerxes and he asked the king if he might be permitted to take a leave of absence and go back to Jerusalem and trust God that he would use him to help remedy the situation with the walls being torn down and the gates being burned. And the king granted his request and the king granted him letters for safe passage and he even granted him financial support for this work, for this endeavor, because God's good hand was in it. If God is in it, it cannot fail. And so we pray that God would be about a great work in us. And so we come here to chapter 2. Nehemiah is here at Jerusalem. And he's going to scope out the situation. And we find that what happens this week, book of Nehemiah, is that it goes from a single vision to a united mission. From one man in his vision to a united mission from many, many people. So Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, 11. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one which, on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, 
You see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant of Geshem the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us, saying, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Now next week we're going to find out more about those that oppose this work. Nehemiah 2.20, Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will rise up and build. It went from one man's vision to a united mission, to rebuild the walls together. And that's what we're asking God to do among us as well. Now, I'm about to read a very long section more names than I have ever read in church. Pray for me. These are tough. These are Hebrew names. I'll do my best. The reason why I'm going to go ahead and read these and not uh, give you the Reader's Digest version is because there's a point being made by all these names. And the point is this. Look at how many people are involved. Look at the types of people that are involved. Look at the trades of the people that are involved. Look at the locations of the people that are involved. So I want you to kind of do your best, listen, and pay attention to the number of people that are united for this purpose. In general, what you're finding here is you're, you're finding that the construction is referenced at starting at the northern part of Jerusalem, near the temple, the Sheep Gate, and it follows a counterclockwise... Uh, rotation around the city until it ends up at the Sheep Gate again. So for those of, for those you geography and history buffs, that's what's going on here uh, at this time. Um, Nehemiah chapter three, verse one. Then Elisha, the priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the Sheep Gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zucker, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hashanah Hash, built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hekaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Baana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites, repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Jehoiada, the son of Pesiah. Meshulam, the son of Besodia, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah the Gibeonite and Jared the Moronathite and the men of Gibeon and Mizpah the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river and next to them 
Uziel, the son of Hariah, goldsmiths repaired next to him. Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jedidiah, the son of Harum, uh, Harumath, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabeniah, repaired. Malkajah, the son of Harim, Hash, and Hashub, the son of Pathath, Pahath Moab, repaired another section in the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. He and his daughters, Hanun, and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. <clears throat> they repaired it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malkijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Shalom, the son of Kol Hazeh, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall, the pool of Shalah, the king's gardens, as far as the stairs that go down to the city of David. And after him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of Bethzur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool, as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired Rephum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of the district of Kaliah, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired Devi, the son of Henadad, ruler of the half district of Kaliah. Next to him, Azer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. And after him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. And after him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hekaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. And after him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maasai, son of Aniah, repaired beside his own house. And after him, Benui, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress. Into the corner, into the corner. Palal, the son of Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress in the tower, projecting from the upper house of the king and the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, son of Parosh, and the temple servants living in Ophel, repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east in the projecting tower. And after him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Sekaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shemaliah, Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. After him, Meshalom, the son of Berechiah repaired opposite his chamber, and after him, 
Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate into the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants repair. Thus endeth our reading of God's word. Wow. There are a lot of names. There'll be a quiz afterwards for you to tell me what all those names were. Everybody had a share in the work. Everybody had a job to do. Everybody was part of the plan to repair section by section. They all had responsibilities for walls or gates. 1967, the burning question was asked via a commercial. Hot dogs, armor hot dogs. What kind of kids eat armor hot dogs? And then there was what to us today sounds like the politically incorrect answer. Fat kids, skinny kids, kids that climb on rocks, tough kids, sissy kids, if you were singing along. Even kids with chicken pox love hot dogs, armor hot dogs. The dogs kids love to bite. What kind of kids love armor, armor hot dogs? All kinds of kids. What kind of people were involved in the rebuilding of the walls and the gates? All kinds of people were involved. You had leaders. You had the rank and file. We have district officers. We have clergy and lay people. We have the high priests. We have the priests. We have the Levites. We have the temple servants. They're all mentioned. Uh, we have craftspeople. We have tradespeople of various sorts. We have goldsmiths and perfumers and merchants. Some are listed by family affiliation. Uh, one man specifically is mentioned uh, as having his daughters work at the rebuilding. Some are listed by the citizens of nearby towns. They weren't even from Jerusalem. It shows a remarkable and unified enthusiasm for contributing to this great work, this project. And we're all in this together. We're all in this together to contribute to this great work. Uh, many people have spoken of this. Uh, I take this out of Together for the City, a work by Tim Keller, where he cites Operation Dynamo from World War II, upon which the movie Dunkirk was based. And in 1940, the German Blitzkrieg left English troops cornered in northern France. And with the Germans advancing quickly, uh, the British attempted to uh, retreat and to uh, evacuate from Europe over the English Channel back to England. Um, and uh, this was a huge undertaking and uh, the, the prospects for success were not very great. And so Winston Churchill called, interestingly enough, first of all, for a day of prayer. And there were hundreds of thousands of soldiers stranded, and the hope was to save at least 45,000 of them. After two days of the military endeavoring to save troops, only about 25,000 had been saved. And so they embarked on a desperate mission to call all available vessels. Uh, every sort of ship, every sort of boat, private and public, 
to go across the English Channel, and the response was incredible. People from all over responded, private yachts, lifeboats, paddle steamers, fishing boats, they all showed up. 933 ships showed up over a period of eight days, and 338,226 soldiers were rescued, a number that was not even conceivable in the original plans. They were all working to, together to accomplish this great endeavor. What we find here in our account is Israel was trying to accomplish this great endeavor. It was really a crazy undertaking. And it needed the cooperation of everybody involved. And we're doing the same thing. We're involved in a great work, a great endeavor. And we too need the participation of everybody involved. This crazy project, you're invited to join and be part of this crazy project uh, of your time, your treasure, your talent. And I'm so excited that so many have done just that. We, uh, just a year ago, I was reminded uh, that Bill Dodrell uh, was praying like Nehemiah, had been praying for a bunch of days uh, that God would provide for our church. We needed a place to store our pews and other valuables. And uh, he prayed and prayed for warehouse space that was not very present in Panama City after the hurricane. And uh, in one day, uh, that opened up. And then uh, we asked Brian Keske if he would uh, see if he could get some Navy divers to come on over. He got 30 Navy divers. Uh, Jay Trumbull uh, had a, uh, uh, a truck available, a semi-trailer available. Ryan Pons drove it. And uh, they came, they all, it all happened really in a few hours. All that was there, and some of you helped in that move as well, and we moved it to the, to the warehouse. Amazing. Uh, a great endeavor. Part of this great endeavor. Some of you have done things like mystery weed eating and mowing, the church property. Uh, some of you came with your children to do what you could in the demolition work. Some of you have provided office space for staff. Some of you have served on our rebuild team. Some of you are serving on our generosity initiative team. The session and deacons have met often uh, to ensure that the rebuild keeps moving forward. Some of you have given to the building fund already. Uh, some of you have hosted events in your homes. Some of you have been prayer warriors. And I could go on and on and on about the many ways that you are pitching in to do a great work. A member of the news media asked me this week, uh, she said, what would you say to uh, churches, people in churches such as your own, that are not back in their buildings? And I said, this is a marathon, it's not a sprint, and we need to not be weary in doing good. Some of you have invited people to church, even here. Uh, some of you have taught Sunday school. Some of you have sung in the choir. Some have overseen the sound system and the AV system. Some of you have taken care of financial oversight. Some have collected the offering. Some have counted the offering. Uh, our staff have gone, gone over and above the call of duty. Jenny and Heath are committed uh, to the cause. Uh, some of you have done um, small groups and women in the church meetings. And many of you have continued to give to the operating budget of the church so that our mission and our work continues to be funded. Why is it 
What is it that we're doing here in our church? We have a mission. And our mission, in brief, is to reach and equip the people in Bay County for the conversion of the lost to faith in Jesus Christ. Our vision is to be a vibrant, reformed, gospel-motivated outreach in the heart of Panama City. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're endeavoring this great work. It's not primarily about brick and mortar and a roof and the trappings of our buildings. It is about the mission and the vision of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everyone contributes their time, their talent, their treasure according to their ability. We read this in the book of Acts chapter 11 verses 27 through 30. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. They gave each according to their ability. What sort of abilities do you need when you're building a wall and gates? Well, you might need stonemasons. You might need carpenters. What did they have? Well, we read they had goldsmiths and perfumers that worked on rebuilding the wall. I'm not so sure that they really, in their goldsmithing and perfuming training, had much uh, training in constructing walls and doors, and yet, were they important to the endeavor? Absolutely. According to their ability, they participated in rebuilding the wall. They needed guys that had been working out at the local gym, you know, that could lift lots of stones. And uh, who did they have? Well, they had, among others, um, uh, the daughters of one of the men mentioned, uh, were these daughters important? Absolutely. They get a shout out in Scripture. Some completed more and some completed less. Um, evidently, some had more ability. Chapter 3, verse 13. One group completed a massive 500-yard section. Some repaired close to their homes where it was convenient and some repaired sections away from their hometown. They were not part of Jerusalem. And so as we consider our part in funding a great work, the rebuild of our sanctuary and Sunday school building for the further of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our community, we need to ask the question, what is my part? Uh, we do need those bulked up wall builders that can move a lot of stone. We need those expert, expert woodworkers to build the gates, right? We need people that have the means to do that, but we also need those with less ability, but just as much purchase, purpose and enthusiasm involved in this great work. You may have a lot to give. You may have a little to give. Everyone according to his ability. And we trust that as we are involved and united in a great work that God will provide what we need to accomplish our purpose. Our purpose is... $1 million in pledges over a two-year period. And we trust the Lord will be in that. Uh, 
Wouldn't it be great if we had 100% participation from everybody in our church in a great work campaign to rebuild our buildings? Now in the past, as we've done, we, we did one uh, fundraiser, so to speak, uh, and we repaired our social hall. And I remember one uh, church member in particular came up to me very apologetically and said, um, I'm sorry, I just don't have much money to give to the, to the renovation of our social hall. And I said, don't apologize. The Lord has given everybody uh, different amounts and uh, be thankful uh, for what the Lord's given you to give to this project. Um, just last Sunday, as we kicked off our um, capital campaign, our children learned in Sunday school about the widow's might. And Jesus Christ specifically pointed out and praised the widow who gave a very small amount, but it was a very large percentage of what she had. He said everything that she had. And so the Lord looks at the heart. And some of you have said the same thing to me. A few of you said, I just, you know, after the hurricane and other things going on in my life, I don't really have anything to give. Um, sort of heading it off at the past, initially with me, the pastor. And uh, without any manipulation, uh, I want to counter that a little bit. And, and here's what I want to say. Do you have $10 a month? You say, what would $10 a month do? Well, obviously, we need people to give much more than that, but we need everybody involved in the building, just like we saw here in Israel. As they built the wall, everybody was involved, and as a result of this unity, the Lord blessed it and accomplished their purpose. We trust that God will generously bless us in His grace. You know, I get calls from pastors and emails from pastors all over the country over, the, over these many months since the hurricane. And they, they say something like this. They say, um, we want to uh, support your church and support the rebuild. And we don't, what, what is, what we have to give um, when you look at the need is a drop in the bucket. Is it, is it even helpful? And my response to them is, keep your money. Such a small amount is not helpful. You think that's my response? No, that is not my response. My response is thank you so much that we're just encouraged that people uh, have seen our plight and are interested in God using them. This is uh, just yesterday I received an email uh, from a pastor friend of mine in Kosciuszko, Mississippi. You know, we've got that Kosciuszko, uh, Panama City link, right? No, we don't. But somebody from Kosciuszko, Mississippi. And he says, Ron, be on the lookout for a check from First Presbyterian Church of Kosciuszko, Mississippi. Our deacons have approved a gift of $2,000 for y'all's building campaign. Yes, he is from Kosciuszko, Mississippi. Y'all's building campaign. It's not a huge amount, but I hope you are encouraged by this token of our prayers for you for you all and for our partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that God will supply all your needs and knit you all together during these trials. Be of good cheer, brother. The gospel is true, and God loves you all. My response to him was, Awesome, Philip. Thank you so much for your, you and your church's care and prayer for us. It is such an encouragement and help. 
And so we give our time, we give our talent, we give our treasure in varying degrees, everyone according to his ability. And I think we'll be amazed if we're united in this rebuilding, just as they were in rebuilding the wall, the wall of Jerusalem. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you noticed it, but there was an incredible unity. But there was one group that did not build the wall, and that was the leaders of the Tekoites who would not stoop to do so, as recorded in chapter 3, verse 5, I think it was. Apparently, the manual labor was beneath them. But their people, the Tekoites, actually did two sections of the wall, the, the rank-and-file uh, members of this particular community, making up for the deficiency of their leader. So we would do the Israelites one better by having a 100% unity in our great work endeavor. What is this about? Again, this isn't primarily about bricks and mortar. Jerusalem and the rebuilding of Jerusalem was not primarily about rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the gates, but it was about the city on which God had specially placed his name, Jerusalem. And it was about the place where the temple of God, the presence of God, and the Holy of Holies was most associated at this time. And we are rebuilding our church. Why are we rebuilding our church? Because we, the people of God, are now his temple, where God has dwelt inside us, inside of his church, through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says we've got the Spirit of God dwelling in us, and we build our buildings as a platform for ministry so people can come into relationship through faith in Jesus Christ and experience the work of the Spirit in their lives. And as we gather together more and more people, believers in Jesus Christ, the church of Christ, the temple of God grows larger and larger and larger. Here's how the passage that Keith, that Keith read uh, earlier states it in Ephesians chapter 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're about building the temple, the people of God, where the Spirit of God dwells. Ephesians 2.19 is preceded by Ephesians 2.89. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one can boast. We do not build the temple of God. God builds the temple. We are created. We are His workmanship. And God has done that work in your life. He has given you the Spirit. He has opened your eyes to the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. And you have repented of your sins. You've placed your faith in Him and His perfect good work. It's His ability, not your ability. It's Christ's ability, not our ability. We trust in Him and Him alone. British broadcaster Piers Morgan uh, went on a rant recently, and he said, I believe, I just believe it is all completely skewed to an environment where everyone is offended by everything. 
and no one is allowed to say a joke. If you said a joke 10 years ago that offended somebody, you could never host the Oscars, so now there's no host for anything. The Emmys aren't going to have a host either. So hosts have gone. Soon every award winner will go because everyone is a human and they're all flawed. So no one can win awards anymore because there will be no platform before they even get on the podium. So then no hosts, no stars, then nobody can make any movies because we're all flawed, so no actors. So suddenly, where are we? A humorless void where nothing happens. We are all flawed. As the Bible puts it, we're all sinners. We are all inadequate. That's absolutely true. But the solution is trusting in the perfect adequacy of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for us. And in his perfect life, his resurrection from the dead, Christ died for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God, that God might in fact dwell within us. And yet, we have a part in God's plan. You know, God could have uh, rebuilt the wall himself. He could have done it miraculously. You know, God could, could bring in a hurricane that could blow the roof back on our building. You know, he can't do that. But God often works through his people to accomplish a great work. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We do these good works not to earn his approval, but because we already have it. Martin Luther wrote this, Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. And so we end today with Nehemiah chapter 4, 6. It's a, it's a good word about a good work. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. And so soon our sanctuary will be just like that. They built the wall up to a half height. It wasn't there yet. We're going to have a roof on our sanctuary in our Sunday school building, and that is going to be cause for much rejoicing. And yet there will be much work to be done. We've got the money for the roof, and now we need to raise the money for the rest of the rebuild. So let's look to a time, to the reality, when the job of rebuilding our church, our church buildings, will be complete. And it's going to take place, in the words of Nehemiah, because God's good hand is in it. And because his people are willing to come together, working together, to have a mind to work, to do a great work. So let us rise up and build, and let us strengthen our hands for the good work that God has called us to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good work, the great work that you've done through in us through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the, the gift of eternal life. And we pray, Father, now that we've received that gift, that you would work in us and through us to accomplish this great work and many others for your glory's sake. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so let's continue our worship by singing the hymn, I greet thee who my sure redeemer art. Please stand.